from the Daniel L. Marsh Chapel in the heart of the Boston University campus, WBUR brings you today's interdenominational Sunday service of worship. This morning, the dean of the chapel, Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, will preach a sermon titled Forbearance. And now here is this morning's service. Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. Friends near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. My name is Robert Allen Hill. As the Dean of Marsh Chapel, I encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. With joy today, we continue to explore the intersection of Christ and culture, Commonwealth Avenue, and our Commonwealth of Heaven, especially at the street marked forbearance. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God. 
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. O oh God, because with you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated and join in a time of silent confession during the singing of the Kyrie.
If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. A lesson from the second book of Samuel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Bale Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the Ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the Ark, and he died there beside the Ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah, so that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into the, his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Let us say responsively the Canticle of Moses and Miriam, found at page 135 in the Red Hymnal. The choral response will be at the beginning and at the end of the canticle on the second page. people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, who has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider the Lord has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. This is my God, whom I will praise. I will exalt my ancestor's God, who is a mighty warrior whose name is the Lord. Pharaoh's chariots and his host the Lord cast into the sea, and his chosen officers are sunk in the Red Sea. The floods cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, terrible in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Then Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Moses and Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, who has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider the Lord has thrown into the sea. People of God, rise up in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymns.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And, as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
George Washington looks out toward us from the far eastern end of Commonwealth Avenue. He surveys the mall. He rides unfettered now by time and unbounded by space. Ride on, ride on, thou lasting image of patient restraint. Much of religion today, including Christianity, emphasizes moments of breakthrough. Their view, this view, emphasizes the gloominess of existence, apart from an occasional sunburst, an occasional feeling, an occasional point of purpose, an occasional touch of eternity. Once in a while, so goes this version of life, the sun momentarily shines, breakthrough religion. Yet that is not what is found in the Bible, in the main. Not breakthrough, but shot through religion is found in Scripture. A rising radiance of resurrection is shot through all experience, all culture, all life, according to the Bible. The earth shall be full of the glory of God as the water covers the sea. Your true commonwealth, citizenship, homeland, mother tongue is of heaven, is shot through earth just as the faith of the gospel is shot through the common ways and commonwealth avenues of life. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Beloved, we are tracing Paul's announcement of resurrection radiance shot through life found in his epistle to the Philippians. And if Commonwealth Avenue is the loveliest street in the land, then Philippians is the loveliest letter in the land of Pauline epistles. Everywhere, everywhere, sursum corda, cries Paul from prison. Everywhere there is a resurrection radiance. Learn its verses by heart especially one today, let everyone know your forbearance. Beloved, if you were to be known by just one virtue tra or trait, what would it be? In fact, we do sometimes tend to think of groups or individuals in terms of one quintessential grace. Monday's child is full of woe, Tuesday's child has far to go, but the child is born on the Sabbath day, and so on. If you were to aspire to live your life so as to define one form of goodness, what would it be? For Tillich, courage. For Niebuhr, responsibility. For Bart, resistance. For Lincoln, humility. For Churchill, resolve. For Teresa, trust. For Luther, faith. For Franklin, industry and frugality. And for you? This intimate letter to the Philippians ends in the fourth chapter with a crashing crescendo of rejoicing, joy, thanksgiving, expectation, and hope. And yet, right here, Paul also inserts his own answer to our question, what one virtue at the end of the day, as the wise of this world now say, though I truly do not know the meaning of the phrase, what one would he wish for his loved ones? 
before you look down again at the bulletin, cast your imagination on Paul and try to guess. Obedience? Paul stresses obedience to the Romans. Preparedness? Paul admonishes the Thessalonians to be on guard, on the qui vive. Magnanimity? Paul gives Philemon a thought or two about giving. Love? Who could argue against love? And Paul sings a hymn of love to the sometimes lovely Corinthians. Freedom? Stand fast, you Galatians, Paul urges. Yet, to none of these earlier, assuming for the moment that Philippians is Paul's latest letter, does Paul return here at the rhetorical summit of his work. Rejoice, 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 he acclaims, and then he selects one cardinal virtue. And you will be surprised at the choice he makes. For Paul himself is irascible, polemical, argumentative, temperamental, anger-prone, blunt to a fault. Yet, in his cardinal virtue, selected for the Philippians, and now today for us, he turns in another direction. They are to be known, he hopes, by their forbearance, epikiasis, which means what is fitting, what is right, what is equitable. It refers to a person of balance, of equable temperament. It refers to you in those hours and days when you are moderate, gentle, kind, gracious. And it refers, above all, to Christ Jesus, our Lord, through whom we are saved. Radiance, resurrection radiance is shot through all of life. Forbearance tells us so. Your faith produces in you and through you a saving gentleness, an earthly counterpart to a heavenly glory, some glorious sunshine from your heavenly commonwealth gilding and guiding your steps from Arlington to Mass Ave. Look hard next time. Look hard at a piece of work you admire, a building, perhaps a lovely sanctuary like this one, an institution or a company, perhaps a university, a marriage, perhaps that one marriage you have secretly admired over time, a program, perhaps a school or a chorus or a ball team, a finely crafted poem, painting, sermon, story, maybe the radiant, glorious opera, La Cenerentola, magnificently performed by our choral scholars and others right here last night at Marsh Chapel. Shot through, shot through, not breakthrough. Look very hard, deeply inspect some fine work, and you will find, I guarantee you, a surprising discovery, even a mildly shocking one. What you so admire was brought out of the mud, was created with forbearance. Take a deep, broad, high look at something good, and I tell you, you're going to find that this good, whatever it is, 
was made out of forbearance. Forbear forbearance is a great power for doing good. Which brings us straightway to Obedidim. God love him. Love his name. I do not need to tell you that for a millennia, Christian preaching has scoured the Hebrew scripture for illustrations. Obedidim personifies forbearance. Long have we loved his story, his encounter with King David. You remember David. David was a builder. He made music with lute and lyre. He made war upon the Philistines. He made a nation out of warring tribes. More than all that, in the Psalms, he made a language of religious longing and discovery that to this day is without parallel. David was a builder, and the Lord loved him for it, and so do we. To crown his other achievements, David decided upon a risky project in order to weld together the northern and southern kingdoms into one unmistakable union David planned to move the Ark of God out of the North Country and down into Jerusalem. It was a brilliant symbolic decision, daring and deadly, like most of David's moves. David gathered 30,000 soldiers and went up where the Ark was hidden in the house of Abinadab. For all his accomplishments and talents, David was also a profoundly fearful man, as the Psalms also show. So when the ark, a holy and sacred object, was finally on the road, David breathed a sigh of relief. And casting off all restraint, he had one wild party. 30,000 men singing, dancing, shouting all along the old Jerusalem road. And suddenly, one of the oxen drawing the ark slipped, and a poor bloke named Uzzah reached out to steady the wagon and somehow fell down dead. And the party ended abruptly. And David's great-hearted fears returned with vehemence, and he found himself quaking in the road, dying the death of a confirmed coward. Did, did God reach out and touch Uzzah and kill him? I do not believe it. I do not believe for a moment that such breakthrough, capricious destruction fits the Bible picture of God, the one to whom Jesus prayed. Such a God is not the one of Scripture and is not the object of our worship. Who would worship such a beastly God? Would you? No. Yet it appears in the depths of his fear that David did believe that God had killed Uzzah. So David, that is, let his fear get the best of him, his anxiety get the best of him that can happen in almost any situation, a dinner, a family gathering, a staff meeting, in school, in church. And his thought about God became what yours also can become, a mirror of our worst fears, a projection of our anxieties, our worries, our hatreds, our worst selves. Talk about God has long carried this danger. And David, we know, was a guilt-ridden person, and sometimes, because of his sense of guilt, 
his thought about God became fearful. God became David's worst nightmare. And in this fear, David was frozen, and many today are frozen in fear as well. And David could not go forward, and he couldn't go backward, and so he entered the lists of leaders, secular and religious, who in a pinch solve a problem by making the problem someone else's problem. That is, he passed the buck. He went up the road a little bit and knocked at the door of an unsuspecting fellow, a poor guy named Obedidim. I can hear David kingly and cowardly addressing the humble Gittite. Yes, Obedidim, my friend, do you mind if I call you Obed, maybe Obi, Obes, let's say. Listen, we have out here what you might call a situation, a situation for, for which your own talents, Obes, are sure, surely needed and sorely needed. You see that little box over there? I want to leave that box over in your backyard for a while, and if, well, if nothing extraordinary happens for a while, that is, if you, Obedidim the Gittite, do not get lit up, fried, and scorched, then I will come back and I will get it. Perhaps you have never had the Obedidic experience of having someone in authority over you dump a problem in your backyard. Somehow, though, I think most of us know the experience. And I even wager that right now, out in the back lawns of lives represented here today and across our listening congregation, there are some little David gifts, some holy arcs, some bucks passed and dumped and left out of fear. David passed the buck and he went home. And night fell on the village of Gath and the ark lay there ominous, and dangerous and foreboding, like all unknown things, including your future and mine. Now the Bible gives us a remarkable, beautiful gift. It says nothing more about Obedidim. The story of Obedidim ends right here. Obedidim does nothing. In the face of David's bureaucratic haughtiness, all-too-human fearfulness, treacherous carelessness, in the face of these unpleasantries and dangers, Obedidim does nothing. Obedidim forbears, practices a little forbearance. He lives somehow with a sense of radiance shot through all of life, shut through, not breakthrough. And without his forbearance, think of it, the great city of Jerusalem never finally would have been built. Without Obedidim's forbearance, David would never have regained his courage. The ark would have stayed north. The kingdom would have been divided still. The great project of the Hebrew scripture would lay in ruins. Obedidim the Gittite endured, showed patient restraint, controlled himself under provocation, kept himself in check. Obedidim taught David and teaches us forbearance, the power of patient restraint. Oh, I admire him. 
I admire the poor guy because my natural reaction in such perverse situations, call it life as we know it, is the contrary, not to forbear, but to yell and scream, reject, retaliate, point out the injustice, militate against the powers that be, all of which would have done no good, for David was not, shall we say, in a mood to change his mind. No, Obadidim could see what we often miss, that something good, something good for God needs forbearance in its making. And this is nearly without exception. Look hard next time at something well done. It was made out of Obadidic forbearance. The sanctuary you find so lovely got approved, mainly because someone bit his tongue so hard it nearly bled. That university you admire so much was started with the aid of someone's heartfelt forbearance. That president you admire, who with a keen mind and cool hand practiced forbearance in October 1962 and so averted a nuclear disaster. That marriage you think so much of is based on a decision down in the deep reaches of human communication, a decision to forbear a weakness, forgive a fault. That choir you love to hear came out of the ground on the shoulders of someone's patient restraint. That work of art you admire was produced by a modern Obadidim willing to endure the sacrifices required of any true artist. That school you support was created with lots of people forbearing one another in love. That opera last night, that world-class three hours of magnificence would not have been presented without some serious forbearance in rearranging rehearsal spots at the last minute at the drop of a hat. Hardly a decent thing ever gets done without the power of forbearance, patient restraint, the willingness to keep oneself in check, to refrain from retaliation. Look hard, look deep. If it is good, it was made with forbearance. And forbearance is prevenient forgiveness, the presupposition shot through today's gospel, and the radiance of the resurrection gospel shot through life. Oh, I, I overhear many questions. We'll take just one. No, no, forbearance is not appeasement. Appeasement in personal or in global relations is pure illness. There does come a time when restraint no longer works. But let us admit that usually the time comes far later than our impatient, impetuous, imperious selves would think. David and we so much like him are not naturally forbearing. With David, we prefer to prance, to twirl wildly in the loincloth. With David, we are spit and fury, energy all readiness to build until our fears overtake us. When you think about it, this is also the message of the cross and the hope of the church. We can admire Obadidim because we know that his forbearance 
more than David's fear, fairly reflects God. We worship a God who has shown God's own forbearance toward us and shows it still shot through every day, not breaking through at whim or will. God's patient restraint, God's power made manifest in weakness, is the power of the cross. Shakespeare had it near to right, forbear to judge, for we are sinners all. God forbears to become the God of David's fears. God forbears to treat us the way we treat each other. Here, too, is a strange word. God even forbears to protect God's self, God's Christ, God's love toward us. God's forbearance is the foundation of the world and the hope of the church. It is the forbearance of God at the heart of the universe which gives life, makes life worth living, and saves us from our ravenous selves. Perhaps this week, recalling the cross and remembering the example of Obadidim the Gittite, we can practice a little forbearance. Let us promise, promise, promise to forbear one another in love. Amen. for prayer, I invite you to stand, to sit, or come forward to kneel at the altar if it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together the call to prayer, hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. Let us with confidence approach the throne of God with our petitions. I will end each petition with Lord in your mercy, to which I invite your response. Hear our prayer. Grant, loving God, that all who confess your name and all people of the world may be united in your truth, practice forbearance, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy. 
Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us all of reverence for the earth as your own creation and the ability to hear it singing the praises of its creator. Help us use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, bless all those whom we hold in our hearts and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as Christ loves us. Lord, in your mercy, Heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Comfort those who are hungry, lonely, or without a place to call home. We pray especially for all those caught in the destructive path of the hurricane and for families who await news of their loved ones. Give them courage and hope in their troubles, loving people to care for them, and bring them to the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, we remember those who have died and those who grieve for them. We commend them to your embrace of love. Lord, in your mercy, gathering all these prayers together, these petitions spoken aloud and all the prayers we hold in our hearts, we pray as Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We do encourage you during the coming week to practice forbearance, but not just yet. We hope you will not forbear from filling out the ritual of friendship, the red pad found in your pew, so that we can get to know one another better. We also hope you will not forbear from joining us from, for lunch in the marsh room downstairs following the service. Throughout the week, we have a number of events, study groups, weekday worship services, and study uh, fellowship opportunities. We hope you will join us for those as you are able. You can find out more about them in the term book that surrounded your bulletin as you came in today. We would invite you also to join the choir on Thursday night. Uh, rehearsal, uh, come for the audition at 6 p.m. Rehearsal runs from 6.30 to 9. Now walk in love as Christ loved us, an offering and sacrifice to God. <laughs>